I want to reward the work and the effort and the attempt to grow and potentially and make mistakes. And that's fine. I'm not going to punish you for mistakes in this class because the rest of the world does that. And I don't think we need to. Hey guys, welcome back to Ready to Redo, where each week we'll be mixing mediocre humor with the topic of redoing education. This is part two of our interview with Rick Kitagawa. In part one, we discussed resume writing and how to show our value to employers, as well as Rick's own experience being a uni professor. If you haven't listened to it, I'd highly recommend you do. Today, though, we're talking about giving students more freedom in how they learn and are graded, as well as ways to not let money distract us from a job we actually want, and also how Rick is an internationally ranked skee-baller. What? Anyway, as always, there is a video version of this podcast, so check out the description box if you want to have a look at that. And yeah, let's jump straight into it. I'm interested, what are unis or schools not teaching us that we need to know? We need to know for the workforce. We need to know for success in the future. So Seth Godin has been calling them real skills. Um, We like to call them like human or people-centered skills. And I think especially due to the nature of, of technology, doing a lot of workforce and technology kind of making information more democratized to people, it's kind of like the hard, the quote unquote hard skills of engineering or stuff like that. Like that's all important, but I feel like that's going to be less important than understanding how to work as a team or how to enroll someone in your idea or to have empathy and listen to someone to make them feel seen and heard. And I feel like those are the skills that most universities aren't really focused on. No job, you just make stuff and you don't interact with people at all. Like that that job doesn't exist really, or it does exist, but very few people can get those. Like I know there's a story of like some guy at Google who like doesn't talk to people and just engineers, but is like the best engineer in Google or something like that. But most of us have to deal with human beings right? We, we manage a team. We are managed by someone else. We have to sell. We have to greet people. We have to talk to people, right? And it's like those skills of building connection, getting people to change their minds, um, like those are all the skills that I feel like we should be focused on. And that those are the ones that because they're hard and because they're incredibly context specific, we shy away from teaching it. And I think we generally shy away from teaching strategy because one, people don't like strategy because you have to think for yourself, which is another core skill that I think you need to learn how to do. And the other thing is that it's incredibly difficult to teach. Where do you think that we could make it doable to like teachable actually? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. And that's actually what my consultancy is working on is we're developing practical frameworks for teaching things like how to build trust or how to build empathy. Because I think we think of these as soft skills, meaning they're like things you can't practice, but there are concrete ways of measuring how empathetic are you or like 
how do you build empathy, right? People are always like, we need more empathy. And you're like, how do you do that? So I asked Rick after how you actually do that. He says one of the easiest ways is to pick a person you disagree with and then get really curious about why they think the way they do. There are step-by-step -step instructions in his free Empathy in Action workshop, but the basics is to try to think of the circumstances that the other person could be going through. So for example, if someone cuts him off in traffic, he thinks, what if someone's carrying a heart on ice that needs to get to a hospital to save someone or something else that validates their actions? And were you trying to incorporate that into your teaching? Uh, I was. So kind of like day one, my, so from the art of possibility, uh, it's a book by the Zanders, uh, oh, they're a, okay. a couple, they, they talk about the idea of giving, giving yourself an A. You know, I, I tell my students, I, I have this whole rant about how grades don't matter for the most part, for most of them, because I was like, grades don't matter. Your degree doesn't matter. Just a side note, Rick is specifically talking about the creative industry where degrees don't really matter compared to portfolios of work. He mentions that the best way to get into the game industry is to make your own game. But there are exceptions, of course. So if it's an industry that's highly regulated or failing can actually cost someone's life, then no, a degree is important. And a direct quote from Rick, he says, if you want to be a doctor or an architect, then stay in school, kids. Given that I, we're an accredited school, I have to have these certain standards of, of giving grades out. I'm gonna make it really easy for you, even if you miss those standards the first time, to resubmit work and I will give you the higher grade of the two. So one, there's that. Two, grades actually don't matter, but I still have to do it legally. And also I tell them, I will give you feedback and I will grade you but I want you to know your final grade is based on your growth, not baseline skill. Like what, per what person did more work? The person who always gets an A pulling an A or the person who works two jobs, doesn't really speak English and manages to go from what they probably would have gotten like a 30% in the class and they get up to 70%? Who deserves an actual A in that situation? And I, I'm saying like, I don't want to reward raw knowledge because you can look all this stuff up, right? Spend a year Googling stuff and reading books like I did and you could probably teach this class too, you know? And like, and go out and, and try these things and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But I want to reward the work and the effort and the attempt to grow and potentially, and make mistakes and that's fine. I'm not gonna punish you for mistakes in this class because the rest of the world does that. And I don't think we need to. And so I would make it very clear that I grade you on two different assignments. The first assignment, which is what does this success look like to you? If you were an A, write this as if you were an A student looking back at your A that you got in my class after the semester is over. And so they write this essay. And some people, their essay is like, I did all my work to the letter and that was it. I'm like, if that's yeah. what an A student is for you, because you can't, you haven't done that ever before. Yeah, that's an A, right? And other people are like, I've managed to apply for college interviews or like uh, internship interviews. And I've like expanded my network and I've like learned how to write all this, you know, they're writing like a three page essay. And I'm like, okay, you're already the person coming in at a very high level. Yeah, I'm going to push you. You have to do all of this stuff to get an A in my class. 
So for example, he'd challenge his high-level students to apply for internships or jobs that they didn't think they could qualify for yet, or for their research papers to interview three professionals instead of the expected one. So this is like a really personalized approach. Like that's you look at their what they define as an A and then you take that into consideration when you actually grade them. Yeah. Yeah. And and to be fair, you know, like I can't I legally couldn't grade based solely on that, but I also had discretion and that's part of the assignment and I would move people up and down based on that. So if you're like I did all of the assignments to a certain expectation and they don't I'm obviously not going to give them an A. And I actually give them a sheet of paper on the last day of class. And I say, this class is really all about selling, right? You're selling your skills, you're selling your value. And so this is your final test beyond all the assignments. This pitch me, tell me what grade you deserve and tell me why. And I found after doing this enough times that in almost every single case, the student will give themselves the grade within about 5% of their actual point grade. As in the one that they, that you have given them? Yeah. Like after me grading everything and I do all of the math and I'm like mathematically given this, you know, like 90% is an A minus, 93% is an A, like 80, 85% is a B, like whatever, right? They are usually within five percentage points of what they what I would have given them based purely on math. Why do you think that is? Because students know. They know whether or not they've worked hard, right? You know what you deserve in any class. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right? Like, it's like how, yeah. like, you know, like, there will be exceptions where I will bump a student up, maybe a full grade or two, because people are like, you know what, I know I didn't perform to what my potential is, but given my circumstances this semester of like my parent dying midway through or like me being evicted in week four and having to find temporary housing for four weeks, like given all of this, I did do my best and this is what, and I know it's not an A, but I did what I could and yeah, B plus should be good. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, technically you didn't do a lot of the classwork, but I also understand. and. The work you did do, however, I can tell that you're understanding the strategy and you're not just doing work. And so I'd be like, yeah, you do get a B plus. And, and most people will be like, I did my best, but I also know that I could have done a lot better. So I think I have an A in your class, but I think I deserve a B plus. Oh, and they I'll will lock like, themselves down. Yeah. And I'll be like, I'll still give you an A minus. Oh, that's really honest of them. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. I mean, this is a thing, right? Like as an educator, we often feel like students are like sneaky and they're trying to hack stuff. And it's because we don't, we don't show them any care. You know, like in the workplace, there's a big thing about with, with coronavirus and COVID-19 and like working from home, you know, some companies are making like people, like they're installing software on people's computers to see how often they're like moving their mouse every hour hmm. and stuff like that. And so then... And that shows no trust in your employees that they're going to get their jobs done. Yeah. And so then at that point, people are making things that will like automatically move their mouse so they don't have to do the work. And I'm kind of like, of course, they're going to try to game the system is because you don't give a shit about them. Yeah. Why should they, why should they try to show up? Right. And 
that's the same thing with students. As a teacher, if you're like, I don't care about any of you individually, just learn this, the crap and tell me that you learned how to do it. Like, why would a student care? You'd be surprised about how giving people autonomy and, and deciding to co-create something as opposed to dictate, mm -hmm. how much that changes the environment and the workplace and the level of work and care that everyone else brings. Right, like collaboration as opposed to just following orders. Exactly, because anyone can follow orders. Like, like you know, it, it, it's, it's super disrespectful to people when you're just like, just follow my orders, because it's kind of like, well then why am I here? Why isn't it somebody else, right? Like there's no creativity, there's no thinking for yourself, and it really, like that holds companies back. It stifles innovation, it stifles creativity, it makes bottlenecks that don't need to be there. And it makes meaning. people, uh, meaning like a, a point where the flow of work or whatever gets uh, stopped up, right? Like uh -huh. in a bottle, right? It's like the neck of the bottle determines how much liquid can go in and out of it, right? right. So uh -huh. um, it, it's kind of like the idea that like you have one manager that has to prove everything. Uh -huh. And so it's like all this work is getting done and more work could be getting done, but it's like, well, well, Still waiting for my proposal to be approved. Right? And, and, and like that, yeah, what? Huh? Like, I guess I'll just sit here and pretend to be productive and go watch YouTube videos because I could be working, but you told me I can't because you haven't approved my project yet. Okay, cool. Right? And, and so it's like by building systems of trust and treating people like human beings it really allows them to do better work yeah i feel like you've really first of all internalized that to treat your students as if you're collaborating with them because it sounds like if you're able to ne even negotiate the the grade it's because you value their input and their perspective Hope you're enjoying this so far. This is what Rick has to say about how salaries affect our job choices. The pay discrepancies like funnel people into certain areas. At UC Berkeley, pre-med and business are like highly competitive, right? And, it, and it's kind of like, why? It's because those pay really well. Who wants to be an educator, right? Like nobody, I hate it. Like I was like, I am never being a teacher because we make sh like, nothing right like right. we don't get paid very well and i mean i ended up being a teacher anyway because i'm like this is <laughs> i like helping people um but you know what i mean it, it's like if teachers were paid better more people would be teachers and if like there was more even paid distributions i think then people would be like you know what i actually don't want to be a doctor i'd rather be a car salesman because i'm super into cars the more jobs that you make, you know, into living wage jobs, like more people would do them. Like I loved retail, actually. Like I worked retail while I was in, in uh, art school and I sold paper and wedding invitations to people. And I loved my job. I did not love how much I was paid for it yeah. living in San Francisco because it was retail, but I loved it. Because I was like, I love paper. I love the tactile feel about it. I love helping people talk about wedding invitations. Like, 
but you know what I mean? It's like how many people who are excited about things, right? Whether it's paper or printing technology or, you know, painting or working in a gallery or assembling guitars. I don't know, like whatever it is. Like, I think if we could find ways to decouple financial motivation for people, and I guess this is my big rant on like more of a universal basic income or something, but like the more we could decouple that, I think that would change education. Do we need 10 million lawyers? Like probably not. Like let's maybe move some of those people into other things that they're probably also very, very interested in and not just law because it pays well. Right. Like how many people do you know who like are like, I'm going to med school. Why do you want to be a doctor? Because it pays well. Yeah, it, it, because things like med, that's how I fell into well, not exactly how I fell into med, but because people kept telling students like us, this is a good secure job. Um, this is what def- we define as success, right? Like if you say I'm a doctor, you'll get people going, Oh, what? What? <laughs> Help me. But you know, like they there were a lot of people like myself who didn't know what we wanted to do. So we looked into these successful jobs like med and I thought, okay, well, I have the grades, I guess. Um, (laughs) But when you see a student like myself, like my past self, who, who's sort of caught in the rat race, I would even call it the rat race because um, it's not the race that they want to be on. What sort of advice would you give them? I mean, it's hard, right? Because we live in a capitalistic society and it's kind of like money is like a thing. What I would tell people is it's just like, you really just need to take some time to figure out what does success look like for you, right? And, and, and to get real about like, what kind of bills do you need to pay? What's important to you in life? And like, is, is money and security important? Like, okay, cool. Like, let's find you high paying job. Um, But like, what is your number one priority in life? And, you know, for me, my number one priority was like doing what I like to do. I'm a very id focused person. And so um, I was very clear that I'm like, the things I might want to do might not make me very much money. Mm -hmm. But I'm okay with that. And I think it's just getting real with what your motivation is. Like, it's fine. Like, if you're like, you know what, I want to be filthy rich, like, that's a lot of hesitation. Filthy fucking rich. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I want to be filthy fucking rich. Then, uh, you know, this is, I feel like I'm an instructor going back to school and I'd have to be like. <laughs> Self-censorship. Yeah. Let me, let me censor myself a little bit. Um, uh, but yeah, you know, like, and that's okay. You know, I always tell people, it's like, like the five why question, like exercise of where you keep asking yourself why is so powerful and is so important to do. Could you explain more about the five whys? We'll give an example. Yes, yes. So it's kind of like, I want to be filthy fucking rich. And then you say, why? You're like, well, because I want to buy anything I want. Why? And then it's like, well, because I feel like buying everything I want would make me never worry. Why? because I know that poor people could lose their housing or they might like, it's harder to, to find a spouse and it just makes life hard. And it's kind of like, well, why is that a concern? Because 
I know what it's like not to have anything and I never want to be that again. Mm-hmm. And then you're kind of like, oh, okay. So is it really about money or is it really about feeling safe? And there's ways to feel safe and not be, you know, Jeff Bezos, right? Or, or yeah. you know, whoever, super rich person that you look up to, yeah. right? You know, or it's kind of like, I want to be a doctor. And you're kind of like, okay, why? And you're like, well, because I want to help people. Why? Because I f- it makes me feel good. It's like, why? And it's like, because, you know, X event. And, and I, I found that when I help people, I feel the most alive, right? And so it's kind of like, okay, great. I'm not saying don't be a doctor, but it's really about you being in service to someone else. So do you have to be a doctor to do that? Mm-hmm. Maybe you could be a coach. Maybe you could be whatever else that might interest you more or might be more like you might be more naturally attuned to that, right? I'm not saying don't go into medicine, mm-hmm. but it's kind of like a more clear example of this, of when there's a mismatch is when it's like, I want to be, a do- why do you want to go into medicine? Because I want to be a doctor. Why? Because I want to make a bunch of money. Why? Because, um, you know, like I was a poor immigrant and, and like, I know what it's like to not have anything. Like, and, and a lot of this is stuff that you should be working out with maybe a therapist or depending on, on, on where this, on where this why question goes, you know, but um, it, it's, it's getting down to like, are you in this for the right reason? Like, I get it. Like trauma is real. Like, you know, it's, there's a lot of people have gone through a lot of really gnarly stuff. And I get it that you're like, I never want to feel that again. And it's like, yeah, you shouldn't have to. And it's unfair that you did, but like, don't let that dictate your life and and your career. It's just so difficult for students, especially because in school, it's not like we're exposed to so many like different job opportunities because the ones that get called out a lot are med and law and um, a lot of others. We're just using these as an example. Engineering, et cetera. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Chemical engineering. (laughs) (laughs) FYI. It's hard to show students that other options are out there. How would, how would you even, be able to do that like what subjects would you feel could alleviate some of this uncertainty i think personal finance is one yeah. um, I, I don't like personal finance is is not taught and needs to be because i feel like 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 as a kid i was just like i think sixty thousand dollars a year is like super rich <laughs> Right. And like, like without, I, I mean, where, without taking tax out. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and it's like, like that is so relative. Right. Yeah. Because in San Francisco, that's nothing in New York. That's nothing. Right. In Kenya, you're basically a king. Right. Or like, you know, in, in, in Vietnam, that's a crap ton of money. Right. So it, it's sort of like, it's all relative. Like, like, what do you want? And I, I think, we, we get these numbers that we've heard from someone, right? We, we've seen someone who is like, oh, they're driving the fancy car and they have the nice house. How much do they make? They, they make $117,000 a year. And you're like, that's what I want to make, right? Or like, oh, they're a doctor. Oh, okay, I want to be a thoracic surgeon, whatever, right? And, and it's kind of like, 
I, I think what personal finance does is like, one, how much money do you actually need, right? Because I think a lot of us need a lot less than we think we need, right? There's like, there's like, oh, I want to make six figures. And like, what do you want to buy with that? What do you want to do with that, right? Is that going into savings or like, is it buying you, you know, Buy an alpaca, a llama, some sort of farm. <laughs> yeah, like, is it buying you a farm? Is it buying you original art? Are you donating it? Like, like, why do you want this amount of money? And I think those are the types of questions that personal finance helps you figure out, which helps you determine, oh, like, I actually could live really well in this area that I actually want to live in for like $40,000 a year. And I kind of don't really like being a, an engineer. Mm -hmm. And I would rather do this other thing that makes me $50,000 a year. Well, why don't I just do that? And then I'm happy. And I've realized I don't actually need all of this extra money. And also like personal finance, knowing about debt, because school debt, uni debt is a whole nother shithole. Like it is so Super bad. People real. don't realize People don't realize, um, especially, I'm not sure how it is in the US, but in Australia, we get school loans, like uni loans from the government. And so we never actually see just how much money we are spending on our uni degrees. So we end up accumulating what we call HEX or help debt. And then people realize, oh shit, like I've just done this really expensive degree that was supposed to ensure like a lot of money. But at the same time, I have to pay back a shit ton of money. So for personal finance, a hundred percent. I feel like any student, any graduate will agree on the fact that we need to be taught finance. But it's also like, like I, I get it too, because I remember being 18 and being like, personal finance, this is dumb. <laughs> hey, this credit card. Yeah. Hello, Shiny. eBay. <laughs> yeah. And it and it, it it's terrible. But um it is something that I feel like if you made that a requirement, you're like this would be very helpful for people. But I also feel like personal finance is only uh, personal finance. If we end up making it a super dry textbooky type of subject, because uh, recently read Rich Dad Poor Dad, no plug, it's just what I read. And it's one of the easiest finance books I've ever read because they made it a narrative. And the reason that we're able to make personal finance even fun. I found it fun to read this book and I have never associated fun with finance ever. And so if that's possible, I think anything is possible with making a subject fun and leading into fun because again, I stalked you and I basically come up with the same, um, same rate my professors. And it says, Rick makes a classroom environment actually fun and not have it feel dull or forced to meet to be there. And another one said, he made the assignments fun. So there seems to be a big trend of making things entertaining, making things fun. But how, how did you do that? How'd you carry the lectures forward? I think that was a mix of making it, like you said, making it about a narrative, right? And making, like putting in a bunch of stories, having funny, like I use memes in my slideshow oh, because yeah. That's how we learn nowadays, apparently, you have kids. Uh, and yeah, and, and it's, I think it's like not taking it, like taking it serious enough to, to show them how it matters. I would tell my students, first day of class, first thing I ever say, like they walk in, nobody knows me. I'm like, okay, hands up, be honest, because I'd rather you be honest. How many of you know what this class is about? Because I was, it, my class is also a uh, 
a mandatory prereq before they get to take their midpoint review. So I'm like, how many of y'all know what this class is about? Like a few people raise their hand and I'm like, okay, what have you heard? And so I get their, their feedback and then I'm like, okay, how many of you are stoked to learn about business? <laughs> no one raised it, maybe one, one kid. And I'm like, okay, I see you. And then I'm like, how many of you know that are here because either your advisor told, told you you had to be here or because you tried to take your midpoint review and they said they had to take this class first and then everyone else raises their hand, right? And, and I think it's just like understanding that this is ridiculous and like, I know that you're not, I wanna learn about business. I, I think coming at it from, you know, the idea of, of not taking myself too seriously really makes it more entertaining and, and knowing that like, I have to kind of make it entertaining because otherwise I'm going to lose them. And I try to make myself more personable and not and like another person, not like some, like, I'm the teacher. I'm going to tell you how to live your life because nobody likes that. I mean, a and, very select few, but. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, select few. But I, I think it was just like about making material relatable to people and like, I try to change up the examples I use in class. You know, like I said, I have a lot of different majors. So it'd be like, okay, let me tell you how this relates to fashion and entertainment design and jewelry making. And then on this next thing, okay, this is an example for 3D modelers and VFX artists and fine art sculptors. And so it's like trying to make it engaging and relatable to everyone as opposed to be like, this is my life, this is what I did. And so you do it like me. Um, that's <laughs> right. yeah, and also, I like I'm, that. And, and I would talk like that too, yeah. you know, and it's like, I think do it, making fun of myself and, and not taking it seriously. I think like you have to do that to be an engaging, interesting instructor, especially when you're teaching stuff that people could like if you made it fun, but typically do not like. Yeah. The interesting thing is that no one will listen unless they can see a point in what you're teaching them. Like there is no way that you're going to get a student to even listen to you if they don't know what, what, what are they learning it for? What is the point of learning this? How can I apply it to my life? I think it's more obvious in terms of resume writing. Like there is a finite, uh, there are very clear purpose to it. But for a lot of things like in my science degree, there was a lot of theory that is more applicable to academia um, and research, but there was never a real emphasis on, okay, how is this exactly relevant to my life right now? And the only engaging lectures, I remember there was this one about the um, physiology of the eye and she uses, she used case studies of um, say, if this person experienced this and this and this drawing upon our theory, what can we conclude? So it was directly using theory to attach it to a patient that she had a while ago. And that made class so much more interesting. So, so much more interesting because now we actually have something to base our learning upon. And she's also engaging you, right? She's not just talking at you. She's like, think about this. And you're kind of like, huh, yeah, maybe it's this. But you know what I mean? It's like the more questions you can ask as opposed to statements you can make as an instructor, I think the more fun class is. Yeah, so thank you. I have some little rapid fire questions and then uh, we will conclude this. So, okay, it says another quote from a student. The dude has some great hobbies. What sort of hobbies do you have? <laughs> uh, I am a 
internationally ranked skee-ball player, which I don't even know what? if you have skee-ball in Australia, no. but it's this carnival game. Um, it's spelled S-K-E-E hyphen ball, B-A-L-L. S-K-E-E. I strongly encourage you guys to have a look at what ski ball is. You've probably played this at one point in your life. I compete at the, now it's technically international level, even though it's really just America and then one bar in Germany, but technically international now. And uh, yeah, I, I'm, I usually end up in the individual national competition. Uh, I've, I've made top 16 in the nation twice. Holy shit. So I like to say top 16 in the world because technically there's no skee-ball leagues in like most of the rest of the world. So so Rick and I ended up talking about skee-ball for around about five minutes. So I just I had to cut it out. Sorry, Rick. Cool. <laughs> um, what is one book that you catch yourself quoting a lot or something that you just keep revisiting from time to time? I'm going to give two because I feel like I actually quote from the art of possibility. I also, because I talk a lot about fear and shame in the work I do around imposter syndrome, um, I talk about, I, I quote Brene Brown a lot. Uh, Daring Greatly, I think is a pretty good book if you want to start Daring with her work. And, oh, you have it there. This wasn't planned. <laughs> <laughs> this wasn't, it's not planned. I mean, Brene is definitely not paying you, but. Um, yeah. Oh, if only. If only. And um, what subject isn't taught in education that you think should be, apart from personal finance? Because we already talked about that. Ooh, I would say communication. I mean, I don't know. I guess that is like a whole major, but I feel like yeah. it's not taught to like the average person. Like I never took a communication class either of my undergrad times, yeah. but I, and I think in part of communication, it's how to make persuasive arguments, how to debate people, how to not get crazy about what you're de debating about, how to negotiate, I think, or maybe we'll just say a negotiation class, how about that? That is, oh yeah, if, the, if your students got taught that, then they would have been able to negotiate a better grade, to be honest. <laughs> That's also why I asked them that, I'm like, sell me and pitch, pitch, negotiate. And, and the best students who I'm like, I know you're going to, to do very well in the business world will, will super negotiate with me on stuff. It's, What's the tactic good. that they do? Well, part of it is I can tell they're learning the strategy. It's not super effective with me because I'm a, I care less about things like my average GPA of my class or whatever. They try to appeal to me. They'll be like, if you pay less attention to the final and you just give me this A, I know you'd actually have more time to play skee-ball and plus the <laughs> overall reputation of your class would go up if you had more students getting A's. And I'm like, this actually doesn't work because I care more about you learning, but oh. I appreciate you doing the research of thinking about at least attempting to empathize with me and what I care about. And so I'll probably give you an A because I like that. I love how they use skee-ball as like, a way to like bait you <laughs> oh oh they i've had students say if i can beat you at a game of skee-ball will you give me an a and i'm like okay Maybe. <laughs> yeah. and i was like yeah if you can sure and if you wow. can, if you can't i actually have a very specific rule book like lined up if they ever do like most people won't do that 
but yeah. some some have and i'm like these are the conditions what like, are the conditions conditions are we play on the same lane i go second it's best two out of three and you pay for the ski ball why second oh you have a huge advantage going second after someone because you know what you have to hit oh oh of course of course you know what you know what score yeah. you need yeah and so if they happen to randomly do incredibly well with mo with which most people don't i i can know if i can play conservatively and still beat that score or if i actually have to like oh i have to really try and focus so um i called it rapid fire it's not really rapid it's like slow <laughs> i also talk a lot for each answer yeah. so <laughs> no but i appreciate it everyone needs to know about skee-ball and about negotiation and yeah um a quote you particularly like hmm I, I really like Seth Godin asking, who is it for? And I go back to that multiple times every day. Who is it for? Awesome. Well, thank you for sticking around. Sorry, this went way over time. But um, <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. Because there is so much wisdom that you have in your brain. I feel like half of it's for skee-ball, but then the other half is like for education and helping people and students live better lives. <laughs> Rick, where can we uh, reach you? Uh, you can find me. Uh, probably the easiest is LinkedIn. So LinkedIn slash in slash Rick Kitagawa. Um, or you can also find my work at thebrightspottrust.com. And that's uh, the consultancy where all we talk about is trust all day, every day. And if you are looking for a personal coach, whether business, or to deal with imposter syndrome, you can find my work at kaijucoaching.com. Awesome. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you.